All right. Well, today is uh, the last week in this long series we've been doing called Purpose and Mission. This is like the finale. Uh, we've been in this long eight, nine week. Maybe that's not that long. That's not long. Medium length. We've been in a medium length series uh, called Purpose and Mission. And the big question we've been asking is, what are we doing here? Uh, what is the purpose of the Christian life? What is the mission of the church? What is all of this about? What are we doing? And we started with Jesus' words in Matthew 22, um, where somebody came up to him as a, a, a kind of a lawyer, an ecclesiastical lawyer, a religious expert, came up to Jesus and said, and what's the greatest commandment in God's law? In other words, what's the mission? I mean, what's the purpose? What, like, what is this about? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we spent some time there. Because after Jesus said that, he said on these two things, loving God and loving neighbor, hang, like a, like a coat hangs on a coat rack. Hang all the law and all the prophets. In other words, your whole Bible uh, is subordinate to this giant, the message of your whole Bible all adds up to this giant purpose. Everything comes down to this, loving God and loving our neighbors. According to Jesus, that's the purpose of the Christian life. Everything is about that. So we spent some time with that. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for a church? And then we asked, what's the mission of the church? If the purpose is loving God and loving neighbors, what's the, what are we supposed to do about it? And then we went over to Matthew 28, where Jesus gave his great commission uh, to the 11, or formally 12, with a seat missing because of Judas. He gives them an institutional mission. This is the mission for the people of God, like the 12 tribes of Israel. Here we have to the 11, 12 apostles of his church. This is your mission. This is what it's all about. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, followers of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age. We spent like seven weeks on that. Uh, Jesus bases the mission that he gives to us, the church, on his own authority, his divine authority. He is God and his human authority. He's a human being continuing still. He's the son of man. He's the human being that has accomplished everything that God has for humanity. He has authority that he, by his own divine right, but also that he earned. And on the basis of that authority, he tells us to go to all nations, all cultural groups, and make disciples, make followers, 
people who follow him. And how, well, how do we do that? Well, he gives us three ways. By baptizing. We talked all about that. He gives us the sacrament of baptism as the, as the mark of entry, as the naming ceremony for people joining God's family. And everything baptism represents comes with that by um, proclaiming union with Christ in the gospel, washing away of our sins, regeneration and growth, all that comes by God's grace, not because of our own works. So how do we make disciples? By being a baptizing church. How do we, uh, okay, that's good. How do we make disciples? Well, by being, also by being a church that teaches people how to obey Jesus' commands. Like Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God delivered to him the law to give to the leaders of the 12 tribes for all the people. Jesus goes up on this mountain in Galilee and delivers to the leaders of, the, the, of, of his church, the, the 12 if you will, uh, the new law, Jesus' commands. And we're not just to proclaim it. We're not just to learn it. We're supposed to obey it and teach people how to obey it. And that's how we make disciples. We talked all about that. And then we talked about Jesus' promise that he's going to be with us always to the end, to the end of the age. And we spent time with everything that that means. That means that we as a church are an embassy of new creation. We are the household of God. We're Jesus' continuing rabbinical school. While Jesus physically, as uh, the human being who's crowned king of everything, sits on a throne somewhere in ultimate reality. Spiritually, he continues with us. And in him, there's an unbreakable union between the tension that we now live in on mission in this broken world and his absolute rule and reign. So we've been asking, what's our purpose? And we've learned to love God and love neighbor. What's our mission? Well, to make disciples of Jesus through baptism. And everything that that symbolizes is it embodies. Through teaching, obedience to his law. And everything that symbolizes and embodies. And by living as his people, unified, unbreakably, with his authoritative and beautifully, wonderfully welcoming and gracious rule and reign as king of everything. So this is our last time to talk about this, at least for the whole sermon. Uh, we'll be talking about these things from now until forever. But at least this is the last sermon dedicated to that. And we've made our way through the Great Commandment passage. We've made our way through the Great Commission passage. So what's next? What is there left to do? Well, I want to take you to one passage in Revelation 21. And before we read it, let me tell you what's special about this passage. Uh, when I was a kid, we went to a mega church in Memphis, Tennessee, called Germantown Baptist Church. And my dad was the pastor of that church, which meant that very often I was stuck there to walk around the building and entertain myself. 
So I did a lot of exploring in this giant cavernous megachurch building in Germantown, Tennessee, suburban Memphis. And I discovered, well, discovered is too strong of a word because it was out in the open. But if you just imagine with me, in, in my little kid brain, it was like, it was like that movie Night at the Museum. Like I was in the, in, well, all the way to the far east side of the church, just past where the church offices are, there was this big table and it was sort of round. I remember it. Maybe it was square. Maybe I remember it wrong. Uh, but this big table and it had, it, there was, it was like a display table and there was a glass covering over it. And under the glass, protected from dust and from little, and from kids, you know, like me who would want to mess with it, was a perfect to scale model of the Germantown Baptist Church complex. Uh, it was an architectural model. Somewhere in the history of Germantown Baptist Church, when they had a building campaign to raise money for the new campus, when they hired architects, when they put the down payment on the land, when they started working towards the new mega campus, somewhere along the line, blueprints were drawn up. But then this 3D model was given to the people and put on display. So that throughout the process of raising money, of working together, of dealing with contractors, of choosing what kind of carpet we're going to have, which sometimes splits churches, (laughs) what kind of carpet. So that through the hardship and the struggle of building the, I got to be careful here. I want to say kingdom, but that... The kingdom is in buildings. Building the complex. There would be this place that the church could go back to and see what the finished product is going to look like. As a source of encouragement. As a source of motivation. And as a source of, as a point of unity. You can go back to the model. This is why we're doing it. Now, I know we're talking about building campaigns and architecture as we sit here in our uh, rented space. (laughs) I think you can imagine with me how important that model of Germantown Baptist Church was to the people. Well, in the Bible, we have something like that in Revelation 21. Except it's not for a building complex for our local church. It's for the arrival and actualization of the finished product, if you will, of the church that Jesus is building. So, if you would come with me to Revelation 21. It's printed in your worship guide, or if you have your Bible, that's wonderful. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, and let's gaze at the picture, at the model of what Christ's church is going to look like. Then I saw from heaven, then I saw, excuse me, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, all the liars, and their, por- their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like the most rare jewel, like Jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east gates, and on the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each with Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of that city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it. 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Wow. (laughs) What a picture. What a beautiful image of the church, of what it's going to be like. Now, the book of Revelation itself is written in a particular style, which is called apocalyptic. This is apocalyptic literature. And the thing about apocalyptic literature um, is that it's much easier. Well, I'll just put it this way. Um, Kids in here, because you're kids and because this is written in apocalyptic literature, it means it's probably much easier for you to understand it than it is for us grown-ups. That's the way this is written. Kids have an advantage when they read or listen to apocalyptic literature. There's something about childlikeness which helps our kids to understand how this is true in a way that we rational adults that lose trust in our imagination by the hard knocks of life, we don't quite get So when we read this passage, we need to read it with our imaginations turned on to grasp its truth. The Apostle John has a vision. He's taken to a great high mountain. Sound familiar? Like Moses was up on a mountain, communed with God, and gave people what life in God's kingdom would look like. Like Jesus took the eleven up to a mountain to commune with him after his resurrection and give them a picture of what life in his kingdom looked like. Now John is taken to a great high mountain to commune with God and to deliver to us a picture of what life in God's kingdom looks like, will look like. That's what's going on here. So, we got like, I'm going long here. Just fair warning, we're going to go a little long today. So we got like 15 minutes left. Um, Here's the big question. Uh, What are we supposed to learn from this, the Apostle John's picture of our fulfilled purpose and our fulfilled mission? What are we supposed to get from this 3D architectural model? Because most of us in here aren't kids. Because most of us in here have lost use and trust in our imaginations. And we don't hear this apocalypse in quite the way, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, quite the way that we probably should. What are we supposed to do with it? What is looking like like the way that the 3D model of the grand Germantown Baptist Church campus helped those people with the building campaign? How are we supposed to be helped from this? Is it just supposed to be fascinating or entertaining? How is this supposed to affect us? That's the question. A number of years ago, I was out to uh, dinner with my friend Ben Tertine. Some of you have met Ben. Some of you might remember Ben. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Hope Presbyterian in Oaks Parish, Presbyterian, and uh, Ben's church, which is called Tove Communion, we all did a Christmas Eve service together at the chapel at Western Seminary. And Ben preached. So if you remember, that's my friend Ben. 
Ben and I used to serve together at a church in town called Imago Day Community, way, way back, a long time ago. And we got together and we were catching up and we were doing something that pastors often do when we get together and no one else is around. <laughs> we we just kind of started making fun of ourselves. Uh, we started poking and jabbing at all the silly things that we have done and tried to get people in the doors of the church and to keep them there. As pastors, we try all kinds of things to get people to come to church. And some of those are silly. My brother, who is a minister, told me one time, he said, Charlie, something one of his mentors told him, he said, Charlie, you know, the thing is, nothing works, so try everything. (laughs) I don't know if that's sound advice or not, probably not, but we do that as pastors. We try all kinds. So Ben and I were sitting around, no one else was with us, and we were poking fun at all the silly things that we tried. And then Ben got real serious. He said, Charlie, you know what I've learned? What, Ben? Now that we're being serious, what is it? And he said, somebody told me this once, and I really believe it. I said, okay, what is it? And he said, what you call them with is what you call them to. And I said, what? (laughs) What you call them with is what you call them to. Ben, I don't get it. He says, Charlie, what we as the church call people with is what we call them to. And then I got it. And that changed me. And I'm convinced that what we have to learn from this 3D or maybe, yeah, this imaginative, beautiful, visionary, 3D model of the church and what it's going to look like in the end, what God is doing, what he's building towards, what we get from this is... Two things. First, what God calls us with is what God calls us to. And second, what we call others with is what we call others to. Now, I know we're still in ambiguity land. So let me show you. What this passage teaches us is that the way God calls us to mission into purpose as his people and has his church is the picture of the destination. What he calls us with is what he calls us to. Think about this. We start with the great commandment, this purpose of life statement from Jesus. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. Loving God is the apex of everything. Everything is about loving God, communing with him, knowing him, enjoying him, glorifying him. And second, everything is about loving our neighbors, serving people, caring for people, listening to people, communing with people. According to Jesus, everything hangs on these two commands. That's what he calls us with, this great commandment. It's also what he calls us to. Here in John's apocalypse, the church comes down out of heaven as a bride for her husband. There's a voice from the throne. Jesus' voice? 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The end of the story is a love story between us and God. What God calls us with to love God is the apex of everything, is what he calls us to, an eternal loving marriage with him. It's incredible. God is marrying us. We are not his equal. We are not his peer. We are not pure. (laughs) We haven't treated him well. But he said in the gospel, no, I'm going to marry you. That's what he calls us to. Loving communion with him. You know, the it's described here, it says that the, uh, you know, when it gives all these measurements, I think it's, uh, yeah, verse 16. The city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. And he measure, the angel measures the city 12,000 stadia. I don't know what that means, but it's real big. Its length and its width and its height are equal. So it's a, it's a cube. And that's where, that's the bride. This cubicle city, which is the people of God. That's the bride. Well, for us Bible readers, that cube thing um, is important. It's special. This cube is where God dwells with humanity, as a husband dwells with a wife. Do you know where else we find God's dwelling cube in the Bible? In the temple, in the most holy place. Right in the center of the temple complex was a room called the most holy place. And within that, the holy of holies. And it was shaped like a cube. (laughs) And it's described in great detail when we read it in the Pentateuch and how to build it, what it's supposed to look like. And that's where God is. But before Jesus came, that cube where God's presence was is a place that people weren't supposed to go. Only one people, one person went once a year in order to make sacrifice. But here, since Jesus has come at the end, we are all now inside the cube. You see it? What John is getting at here is that the communion, the love that exists between God, well, that God has for us, that radical, beautiful, unimaginable, unending, forever deep love that he has for his people. When we get to the end, we're going to have that love for him. It becomes a mutual dwelling together. We move in together. There's no more hindrance. There's no more separation. We will be completely enveloped in his love. So what Jesus, oh, loving God, what Jesus calls us with, a command to love God, is what he calls us to, perfect Love between us and God. It's coming. He calls us with this command to love one another. And here we see that the bride, the people of God at the end, is a city where people dwell together. The thing about cities is you can't live in a city without dealing with other people. 
This is why some of us live in uh, Portland and not Vancouver. There's something different about the city. I get uncomfortable. I was telling, I was, I was telling Mark, I, I don't like driving in Vancouver. The roads are too wide. People drive fast. And it makes me nervous. Uh, and somebody who will remain unnamed told me they didn't like driving in Portland. The roads are too narrow. People drive too slow. It makes them nervous. So here we have two cities, two parallel cities with two very different cultures. And we choose where we, where we live based on the people we feel comfortable being around. Well, here at the end, there's one city. And we're all together. So what Jesus calls us with, love God and love your neighbor, is what he calls us to. Perfect communion with one another and with God. And notice this isn't something that we achieve. There was a time when people tried to build a city to the heavens. The story of the Tower of Babel, it ended very poorly. It didn't work out. This is not that story. This is a story of the city coming down from God, from heaven to us. It all happens by grace. It's a gift. What God calls us with is what God calls us to. But what God calls, what we call others with is what we call others to. This great commission. Jesus has commanded us to go and to call people to follow him. And he's given us means by which to do that, by being a baptism church. A church that preaches a message of salvation by grace through faith, of being washed and made clean from your sins, of being accepted and being named as part of God's family, and being a teaching church that teaches Jesus and how to follow him and how to obey him. These are the things that we call people with. But it's also the things that he calls us to. To... Well, let me just show you from the text. Look with me at, here it comes. Look with me at at the first part. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the new earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain. Former things have passed away. We call people with baptism, with teaching, and with the presence of Jesus. And here we see that we are called into the presence of Jesus. Do you see it? The dwelling place of God is with man. We're called to be a church that brings people in by the teaching and preaching of the Word, Jesus' law. And here we see that that Word is, is what we're also called to. Look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. This temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, the Lamb. The city also had no need for a sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
Folks, Jesus commanded us to call people with the teaching of his commands, the teaching and preaching of the word. It's it's a lamp, like it, like it says in Psalm 119, his word is a lamp unto our feet, a, a light into our path. His word, like we talked about before, is light shining into darkness. It teaches us how to live. But here we see in the New Jerusalem, the light is everywhere. And it comes from Jesus. His word and his commandments fill the city. And everyone who is in it walks by his light. And then we see in verse 27, nothing unclean will enter into it. No one who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What we call people with, what I'm doing now, what we practice in our small groups, learning his word, learning to walk in his ways is what he calls us to. Communion with him as we walk in his ways perfectly. And last, baptism. We call people with baptism washing, the the, the washing of regeneration, the wiping away of sins, the, the naming that you belong to God. Look with me here at verse 5. The one who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, write these down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, I will give this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. In baptism, we mark people. We name people into God's family. And here God says, everyone here belongs to me like a son. In baptism and through the Lord's Supper, we are uh, are sustained. Through the Lord's Supper, we are sustained by God's grace. And here it says that everyone in the New Jerusalem, everyone is given the spring of the water of life without payment. Do you see that in John's image, our sacramental practice of baptism in the Lord's Supper is it graduates. The, the symbolism becomes very clear reality. Now, in this time, we are, are grafted in and washed and named by baptism and we're sustained at the Lord's table, but there, our name will already belong to us and the sustaining will be ongoing. Do you see the big idea here? What we're called with, what we call people with, is what we're called to, is what we call people to. Here's the point. The journey. Our church's journey together on mission. Is just as important as the destination. That's something that parents say to their kids on road trips, right? Kids says... Are we there yet? And the parent says, the journey is just as important as the destination. But the thing is, folks, I don't think we really believe that all the time. We rack our brains to try to figure out tricks and shortcuts and little ways to get people in the church so we can feel, so we can grow. But God has given us the tools. We don't have to come up with anything new. We use the tools he's given us. And these tools are special and significant because they're one in the same as the actual place that we're going. 
the journey together as a church is just as important as the destination. Because the journey is one with the destination. Folks, church is hard. It's weird. Sometimes we have microphones that don't work. Sometimes Charlie preaches too long. Sometimes it's awkward. But folks, coming together for word and sacrament and for participation in the presence of Christ here, it's not just the way we get to the thing we're longing for. It is the thing we're longing for. Do you see it? So, purpose and mission. Loving God, loving our neighbors. Jesus not only calls us to that, he has made it a reality. And it's a reality that exists here, in this place. His mission to go into all the world and make disciples through baptizing and teaching, practicing his presence. It's not just where we're He calls us to go. It's where he calls us to be. Because that's where life is. Let's pray.